0: You're listening to the Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern Preppy lifestyle alive. I'm chatting with my friend, Cynthia, the blogger of Darling Down South. We discuss how she started her blog, how it's changed over the years with her curated vintage shop, and some of the fun opportunities she's been part of thanks to blogging. But before we do, I want to mention that today's episode is brought to you by Site Culture. Owning a small business is hard work, and every business needs a website in today's world. But finding a designer or making one yourself can be costly, a time drain, and quite overwhelming. But luckily, thanks to SiteCulture, it doesn't have to be. SiteCulture is here to make things simple with plug-and-play customizable website templates. No coding or tech skills required. SiteCulture makes having a beautifully crafted website attainable and affordable. Their templates are completely customizable and loaded with premium features like elegant, intuitive design and strategic messaging guidance. You'll receive all of this for about a tenth of the cost of other custom website options. I've worked with Elizabeth and her team of Site Culture for all of my websites, and I'm constantly recommending their team to all of my clients and friends. I truly believe in their service. They make beautiful websites that are easy to use, even for someone like me who actually isn't very tech savvy. For a limited time, you can get your dream website for just $29 a month. Simply visit siteculture.co Pick your ideal website template and use the discount code FIRST10, that's the number one zero, at checkout.
1: All right. Why don't you tell everyone who you are, where you live, and what you do? Hey, so I am Cynthia Ruff, and I am the founder of Darling Down South, a Southern lifestyle blog focusing on home decor and kind of just making your life um, a little bit more fun for your home and kitchen table. Um, And so I'm located in Atlanta, and I've lived here for about 27 years.
0: I love that. And so you um, post a lot of like recipes and um, home decor and table settings and things like that. So have you like always been interested in that? Have you always been creative as a kid? Like what was what was your childhood like, I guess?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up with a single mom, so we did everything pretty frugally. Uh, we went to the thrift store a lot and kind of scrounged for things in the backyard whenever we did um, table settings. So I was I was typically, um, I'm the youngest, my, I have an older sister and I was typically the one who did the table setting since it was a kid friendly activity. Um, Mm -hmm. so I would like go in the backyard and look for like pine cones and decorate the pine cones with things and like pick up leaves and do like little table decoration and, um, try to set the table really nice. But my mom has always had really fun holidays and she would always make the tables really pretty and had all the linen napkins. And, um, what we did have, we, we really brought it out for the holidays. So I love sharing that with all of my readers. It's just always a nice, fun, creative outlet. I actually just got the Creative Bug Me data I'm like, after this is over, I need to do another tablescape for fall because I really just kind of want to play with things that way.
0: Definitely. I love that, you know, you got your resourcefulness it sounds like from your mom then and you know even I feel like when I follow you on social media I see you sharing scores that you found at like antique malls or thrift stores. So that's awesome that you sort of learned that so early and I think not everyone has that skill to be able to like see something and know what it
1: can be or you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh And I actually have like a running joke. It's like, of course, whenever I go to a thrift store, I'm like, I'll go peek through like clothing or whatever. And I'm like, I would pick up the one blouse that's like $8 on the rack instead of like the $2 blouse next to it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I love that. So
1: where and what did you study then for college? Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to go. I started school in 2008, which was not really the best economic year. And I was mm-hmm. hell bent on being a journalist. And my parents were like, please, God, do not do anything like that. The market's probably not going to rebound. And they were very conservative about um, you know, how the job market was going to look when I graduated. And I was a flippin' 18-year-old. And I was like, no, I can totally get a journalism degree. It'll not be a problem. Um, <laughs> but I ended up taking a business class and really loved it. And Um, really thrived in that setting. So I actually switched my major to um, finance. So I got a finance degree and graduated in 2012 and then worked in um, enterprise software (laughs) for about four years as um, like an internal financial process consultant.
0: Oh my gosh, that's like a big jump because I'm a communications um, major and I'm actually, I started college the same year as you then. And I mean, finance and like journalism or any comm classes are completely different. Like I could not make that jump into like numbers. So that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I've always really liked numbers. Um, I always was super studious in school and in a lot of AP classes, um, Love, I love learning things. And I think the finance degree that I chose, it was just a nice challenge. And my parents actually made a really good um They told me something like really good advice. And they said, you can always practice writing on the side and you are a talented writer and you can always do that on the side. We -hmm. think that it's best if you have some sort of um, business background because you are succeeding so well in it. And I was like, okay, that's a fair point. I can always write on the side.
0: Hence, yeah, that's starting really good. a blog. <laughs> I was just going to ask that. I mean, that's good advice from your parents. Um, and so is that then – when did you start your blog and sort of what was the inspiration behind that then?
1: Yeah, it was about uh, three years after graduating. So it was 2000 – well, I started one in 2014. Actually, my first blog was all about thrift finds and thrift fashion. Um, and this was at like the beginning of shop style and the influ- – like uh, shopping influencers and the reward mm-hmm. style was just starting as well. So you can't really like sell sh- like thrifted fashion on <laughs> um, online because there's no, re- there's no re- uh, affiliate links for it. So I was getting a little discouraged with that, which is why I rebranded to Darling Down South and um, started doing more mainstream things. But it was in 2015 when I had already kind of like burned myself out at like burning the wick at both ends of my job and I was like, I don't have any creative outlets anymore and I need to do something and I was reading on these blogs and I was like, I could do this. I was like, I think I have enough skills. Like and if it doesn't go anywhere, I'll use it as practice for writing and maybe I can get a journalism job when Definitely or a <laughs> writing job when <laughs> when I decide to leave the finance world so i mean we kind of talked a little bit about obviously how
0: your blog has changed over the years with you starting it more doing thrifting and then now you're doing more you know style that people can buy and um but how else has your blog changed over the years or how have you seen even just the blogging world in general change over
1: the years oh man i mean it's been it's been such a ride it's so crazy to think that um just the whole evolution of the blogging world itself it was you know, very much like a personal um, platform for a lot of the big bloggers that started in the early teens. And I think now like it's gone, there's like two branches. There's, Mm -hmm. there's the people who want to do more editorial content and end up seeing themselves going in a very formal fashion. And then there's, which is what I was starting to do for a very long time and um, did that before I went back to my graduate program. And then there's also the people who do a lot of quick fashion and quick turn things. And it's more like Instagram where there's not an actual formal web page behind it. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to see that difference. But both are very important to the overall blogging category as well. Um, I guess it just depends on whatever someone's preference is too. To pursue Definitely. instagram is a very low barrier to entry and TikTok and things and i actually really prefer that it's going in this like real space because when i started vlogging like everything had to be white and gold and perfect and there had to be you know it was like this like <laughs> epitome of perfection and it had to be the perfect shot otherwise it wouldn't get 400 likes or whatever it was and there was a lot more stress on that lever of vlogging than wow. i think now it's a lot more casual Definitely. I mean, I've seen the
0: change myself, I feel like, um, as well. So I guess um, how – so you've, you've seen it change sort of it becoming a little bit more casual, but how would you say then you've developed a following and grown your following? Because I know that's probably changed over the years too, especially with like the algorithm everyone talks about. Um, so do you – how did you initially grow it and then how have you seen it change and like sort of what are some tips?
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I initially grew it. Um, there was a small group of us in Atlanta that all kind of hung out together, and we really worked off of referrals to each other. So they were my good friends, and we would go around to events and we'd see each other places and we'd do stories on the side. So that was one way that I grew it. Which collaboration is still a really important part of growing any of your Instagram following or tiktok following actually i don't know a lot about tiktok so i'm probably gonna (laughs) refrain from talking about it because i am an old lady and have no clue (laughs) um (laughs) um, but i probably should figure it out sometime um (laughs) (laughs) um, and so the other way i grew was um just the content that i produced was picked up by some outlets like southern living and like country home and those things and so they would repost and drive traffic that way Um, which was really, really helpful. And, you know, I think you have a harder, it's, it's much harder these days to get a large following on Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, because of the algorithm, because of how things are set up. And, you know, Instagram wants you to be like a unique value add to their platform. And that kind of adds into how they rank you. And, uh, it's just also become a very saturated market. That being said, there are other things that you can do to help your following. So collaborations are always like the number one and, you know, finding like someone else that you could partner with and you guys could um, do like a giveaway together or do a piece together, which I always think is fun. And then also using other platforms and knowing that you don't have to have a large following to have a successful following. So a successful following can always be something like, You have a very engaged audience um, who are willing to buy from you, or they're just willing to have a conversation with you continuously. And I think that is the most important thing to focus on right now is having people who want to have that conversation with you versus having 500 people who just want to like a photo.
0: Definitely. And I mean, even from the back end, me working on the brand side, when we look at influencers, I think that's so important is, you know, now... I think everyone wants those large numbers because it looks nice to say like, oh, I have, you know, 200,000 followers or whatever it is. Um, but mm-hmm. really, we're looking for that engagement that you're talking about, like the genuine followship, not just, you know, quality versus quantity, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I would get really discouraged because I think maybe was it two or three years ago when everyone was starting to buy followers and do all those loop yes. giveaways. And it, it was so discouraging because it's it, – here I was – you know, I had a very engaged audience. I have a very high, um, audience on my blog itself. And I have high audiences on other social medias, but this one Instagram metric, which wasn't for me moving more than 1% per month in growth. And I was like, am I doing something wrong? Have I pissed off my audience? I was like, does no one want to follow me anymore? And then I kind of just had to realize, like, for me, that is not a, like, necessary metric that I need to worry about. It's about how engage like what is my overall goal? Do I want to sell or do I want to have like a conversation? And I focus more on having a conversation with my audience than Mm -hmm. trying to push them things all the time. Definitely. And so you mentioned, you know, one of the ways that
0: you grew was having these publications, you know, share some of your content on their websites or their social media. So, how did that come about? For people listening that uh, might have questions about that, was that you reaching out to them, or did they kind of just stumble upon your content and then want to share it?
1: Yeah. Um, so, Darling North South originally started as like a pretty preppy, um, <laughs> a very preppy, like fashiony brand with like little fingers and other um, segments. And because of that, I appealed to um, Southern Living and all those things. And I was also very strategic about having a, even if it seemed one way, at sometimes having a very engaged relationship with these brands that I was hoping would notice me. Mm -hmm. So for Southern Living, I would continuously comment at all the photos, like everything. I would tag them in photos that I thought were relevant for their feed. And then I would also use their hashtags that they um, also used for their brand. So that they would see my content and that, that I was engaging with their brand and I was bought into the brand, and hoping that one day they would re me, which they did um, frequently when I did that, which was, I was like, oh, this, this works when you're actually engaged I mean- and you really love a brand and you, and you show that you want to work with them, that they actually want to reciprocate and they'll repost your photo and, and, and ends up giving you like a thousand followers sometimes.
0: Yeah. That's really amazing. I think that's great advice for anyone listening. And I, I always get questions from influencers asking, you know, how do you work with um, some brands because of the brands that I represent? And I'm like, I think the first thing is to show that you have an interest in the brand and like show engagement mm-hmm. and maybe show that you've bought some of the products yourself before um, and use them actually. I think that's the best way. So it sounds like, you know, you sort of did all that, which I think that worked out in your favor. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I typically would I typically even with a brand that wants to reach out to me and work with me, I typically have a policy of saying I have to try your product first because if it doesn't pass my test, I can't pass it off to my audience. And cause because my my integrity lever sometimes is like turned down a lot of stuff, but. At the same time, I really want to make sure that I believe in it because like, I can't sell something that I don't believe in at the end of the day. yeah. And I'm sure the brand who is wanting to work with you, of course, like Southern Living or whoever else, they want to see that you believe in their brand before they want to work with you.
0: Mm-hmm. No, definitely. So, um, so who are some of these other brands or businesses that you've really enjoyed working with over the years? Like, are there any uh, brands that have sent you product that you featured that you just was like it was like a dream come true where they were on your goal list. Like it sounds like the Southern living um, feature is one of those, but any other brands that you could talk about and um, sort of how that came about or, any you me moments
1: for the blog. Oh my gosh. There's been so many. Uh, Garden and gun was my, like when I, so I left my full-time job in 2018 and started doing Darling down South full time. Um, and I was like, okay, my three-year goal from here is to work with Garden and Gun. And then that year they called me and they're like, hey, we want you to do a feature for um, Visit Alabama. And I'm like, oh my, gosh. oh my God, shut up. This is not happening. I was like, this is way <laughs> ahead of schedule. I was like, what's next? And I hate that I was like, what's next? But I was like, I enjoyed everything I did with them. And it was an amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely a pinch me moment because it came so much sooner than I thought was going to happen for me that year. That's um, yeah. That's a great one. Yeah, it was it was really cool. They had they let me have a lot of creative freedom, which was great. But at the same time, I'm like, oh my god, what do I do with all this creative freedom? Some, <laughs> sometimes I need like a box to work in. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it was great. I have never had to take so many photos in my life. I felt like a wedding photographer, and I was. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't do wedding photography for the full time. Um, yeah, but it was it was a lot of fun. I had a wonderful time. Uh, I had a lot of. I, Alabama like Birmingham Alabama is so cool and that is what I left with that experience and we've gone back nine times just for vacation because it's just a nice little weekend getaway away from Atlanta
0: oh that's um, awesome yeah I wanted to go that was actually one of the places I wanted to go this year which obviously didn't happen so maybe yeah, next year I'll visit
1: <laughs> the, the food scene there is amazing they have a lot of James Beard uh, nominated and awarded chefs in the cool. city it's really great um otherwise so we just finished a renovation in our house and throughout this renovation, I was like, I wonder if we can work with a few people, you know, and feature them and do something like that on the, on the blog. And I was like, worst case scenario, I reach out and they say, no, best case scenario. I reach out and they say like, here's 20% off or something. And you know, any sort of discount when you're doing mm-hmm. a home renovation is great because we end up finding mold in our house. And that was a whole, a whole, oh, my gosh. whole problem. Um, but yeah, I reached out to, um, handstone courts and I had just seen them at a designer show house. And so I met one of the reps and then I was like, oh, this is so great. You know, we're doing this, et cetera, et cetera. And I like, I pitched them my whole spiel. And I was like, here's where my audience really works well. It's like, here they are in the home discourse pace. I was like, here's this post that I think is similar. I was like, here's all the commissions I've driven through this. You know, here's like customer testimonials of people who've said, that they end up buying something because I worked with this brand. And so I laid out the whole, um, the whole spiel about why it would be a good thing to work together, thinking that they would just end up giving me a discount, but they ended Mm -hmm. up giving us all of our countertops in our house, which was unbelievable. And I had to like, I had, I had to just like sit down and I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, this is wow. This is way more generous than I thought would ever happen. Um, but we ended up having an awesome collaboration together. And this is still one of my highest visited posts on my blog by like 75,000 views. Um, I've had other people who are doing home renovations in Atlanta reach out to me saying that they use hand quartz. So it was really rewarding to see that I could also help other people when they, because a lot of people now reach out and they're like, should I do marble or should I do quartz? And quartz um, is great, it does not stain. And Mm -hmm. it looks just like, and it's not destructive to the environment. So I'm, I'm all in and I will definitely be using that whenever, if we ever have to do anything in the future, in a future home, but definitely too big. It's like,
0: wow. That, I mean, both of those are huge. I mean, counters are so pricey and that's amazing that you got that sort of collaboration and then garden and gun and even, you know, the Southern living features. I think those are tops for anyone.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was really, it's really amazing. Like when you show how much you're invested into a brand, what they will end up reciprocating for you.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you also have like a little vintage um, online pop up shop, and then mm-hmm. I did I do I am I remembering correctly? Did you have a scarf
1: collaboration too? I did. That was my first failed product.
0: (laughs) Uh, So let's talk a little bit about like the extensions of your blog then right now. Like some of those, what was successful, what, you know, maybe it was a fail and where you think it's going next.
1: Yeah. I mean, shoot, if you're going to do anything like fail, fail cheaply, but fail quickly, I guess is my, (laughs) is my takeaway from the scarf thing. Um, I thought thought scarves are gonna be such a good I mean okay it was it was a huge success in that I learned a lot and the artist that I used um Hannah she is awesome uh she did such a beautiful job with the design I didn't know how much went into actual like clothing turns and clothing everything and I just had no clue so I really kind of launched into retail without any idea of how to retail (laughs) so it was it was like, I was like, I going to do merch, but I was like, I don't want to do like your general like run in the mill merch. So I was like, it would be so cool to have like one um, unique product that we've created. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just, I think accessories are really difficult. Um, and it was it's a whole lesson in just really doing the research of what your audience wants. So again, as I have transitioned away from style and moved more to home, people were doing more home shopping through my channels and not exactly style shopping. So I didn't listen to that like transition phase, and I was still stuck in the home mind, or I was still stuck in the style mindset when everyone was in the home mindset. And so I feel like if I had done like a pillow collection instead of a scarf collection, it probably would have resonated with my audience way, way more. Which is why I took a break from retail in itself, and now that I'm back in my graduate program. I was thinking about how do I tow into um, retail again? Like what's that going to look like? And one of my biggest things is I don't like buying things multiple times. I want to buy one thing that's really nice. And I want to have it for a few years. And I know a lot of people in my audience have reiterated those same wishes. So I saw some of my friends doing some um, antique resales through Instagram. And I was like, well, this could be like a good way to figure out like very easily what kind of items my audience would be interested in in case I wanted to have a real uh, like retail pop-up online. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just started buying from different categories and launched my first sale and everyone kind of uh, loved it and everything sold out, which was amazing. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So there's something here. I was like, this was the right thing to talk to my audience about. They really want to see home stuff. Um, yeah. So now I'm like honing it in a little bit more and trying to think about some new private ladle products to add for next year, which I hope to be available in March. And I'm really excited. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: That's super exciting. Um, so you you can't give us any more than just saying that they're home products?
1: Um, Well, I will tell you one of them is a proprietary scent that I have um, developed myself at home because quarantine was long and I had nothing to do. So I poured candles.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um. That's exciting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then the other one is kind of like a bar slash wine accessory. And I'm not going to give away too much more about that because I'm still Uh in the production process of getting it made but Got it's it. had resounding, uh, success feedback on that. Um, and then I'm looking at potentially buying some patents for some things that are no longer being made to then reproduce it today. Oh America. my gosh. I love that.
0: I love like yeah. this business sense. So let's also then quickly talk. So you're back in school right now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was the decision behind that? And what are you doing? Um, tell me a little bit about that
1: quickly. Yeah. Um, God, there's just so much I don't know. And again, I love to learn, um, this whole like online e-learning thing from like YouTube stuff that I was trying to do just really wasn't getting me where I wanted to. And my husband had, um, his, he went back to for his MBA after he did his undergrad and had nothing but high things to talk about it. And all of our friends typically have their MBA in our friend group. And I'm like, you know what? I think this is what I need. I feel like I'm lacking a little bit in confidence. I feel like there's still more in the business world that I need to learn. Let me just do it. And so I've done it and it has been everything and more that I thought it could be. It's, it's the, the best experience I've had in a educational program, hands down. It's so collaborative. Oh. I've learned so much. All of the students are amazing. The professors are so thoughtful. It's it's wonderful. It's If anyone is interested in doing a master's program, I highly, highly recommend Um, Georgia Tech Sheller College business they have been awesome okay and so has that
0: been online then recently or how's that working
1: Um, right now in COVID times yes we are partially online but it's mostly in person so this is their full-time program and it's typically all in person but we are doing some things online okay that makes sense and how much longer do you have left May 2021 I'm almost done oh okay you yeah. are almost done.
0: That's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So that's great advice. I mean, I feel like there's always stuff you can learn. And um, it sounds like you're really happy that you made that leap.
1: Yeah, I'm very much an in-person learner. I have to have like hands-on stuff. I have to have deadlines that with a predisposed, like you're going to get an F and fail out of life kind of <laughs> a threat to it instead of just doing things on my own. So I know that for my personality, I need that. Yep
0: that's really cool. So, um, more about blogging then. What mm-hmm. do you think is the greatest challenge with blogging and being an influencer?
1: Oh man. Um, that is a wonderful question. I think the greatest challenge, and I've heard it a lot from people who ask, who've asked me, is just how to get started. There's a lot of things that people don't know Where should I start? When should I start? Have I missed my chance to start? And I always feel, I guess I feel sad because I'm just like, no, just like jump into it and do it and just like find a platform that resonates with you. Um, So if you are on the fence of trying to figure out whether or not you should start an influencer business, just start it. And there's a lot of bad advice out there that says, like, don't start being an influencer for money. And it's like, no, if you're going to go do something that you want to make money from, get in the mindset of, I'm going to do this to make money from it. Uh So, you know, if that's if that's what you want to do and you want to be a professional influencer, I mean, there's that's a, it's going to be a long and hard road ahead because I think after the first like the first two years are critical in building your credibility, and then after two years it's like the, once the two year slump is over, this kind of like exponential like credibility like boom happens and then this exponential like income thing happens and it's very rare that you'll start off with just um, a mass amount of following, but you just keep at it every single day and stay consistent and, you know, really speak to your segment, whoever you want to target, you know, maybe you're a mom and you want to target moms who have gluten-free kids. I mean, there's a niche for that, but like really like hone in on your niche. And that is the most important thing with blogging. Yeah.
0: So what would you say like your niche is then?
1: I'm probably pretty bad about this. I'm like, <laughs> do <laughs> do what I say, not what I do. No, um, my niche is definitely – uh, like, it's, like, a person who is in, like, an established time frame in their life, but they also are homeowners. So imagine, like, you're in, like, a career that you're going to be in for a long time, or maybe, like, you just got married, or you're, like, in a long-term relationship, but, like, th- that kind of, like, portion of your life is pretty established, and so mm-hmm. you are now in that, like, nesting phase, but you, you are modern and traditionally focused um, in terms of home decor. So, you know, you want, like, it to feel welcoming, but you don't want it to be like super wallpapery. Okay. <laughs> Which I love wallpaper, but my husband will let me have more than one room in our house wallpaper. So <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> I'm a little bit more modern than I think I would probably be if I had full rain yeah. on my own. But again, it's like that like compromising thing in your life um, where you just kind of make it work.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's great. So speaking of your house, then you recently bought a home. I mean, I guess at this point, it's been a little bit, but I see you like twice a year in Atlanta when I'm down there. So it seems like (laughs) it just happened. But so you somewhat recently bought a home and you're renovating it. So um, let's talk a little bit about that. Like what are some projects that you're doing right now?
1: Um, Right now I am refinishing a lot of the furniture I bought from estate sales. (laughs) So uh, that's pretty fun. I like, uh, I sand it all down and then I'm going to repaint it and add some new hardware. Um, the house itself is pretty much done. So my husband has lived in this house. He bought this house 15 years ago when he graduated from undergrad and, um, didn't do a thing to it. So we did a complete gut job renovation. And now I think I'm trying to like fill in the spaces of what's left. So we need like a new dining room table and we need a few other things, um, one of the projects that i have slated for us is to do a new hood over our range because i would like it oh. to be a little bit more of like a focal piece in the kitchen since it's just kind of pretty functional right now mm-hmm. but there's no like real projects on the books at the moment we did a really good job of getting it all out of the way in our renovation time period and we've been Oh yeah, just gonna... i was going to say i feel like it's been quick <clears throat> yeah um <laughs> so Again, my husband bought this house 15 years ago and he's like, I've moved three times in my life. I'm like, oh my God, I moved like three times in one year, one time. Like <laughs> I wish I could have moved three times in my entire life. And so he really wanted to, you know, get everything done as much as possible. He's like, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to live in a construction zone. Mm-hmm. And so we moved out and like our contra- contractors had like full reign of the house. It was supposed to be unsurprisingly a six week renovation, but then they found a whole bunch of bolts. They had to tear all the walls down which was a total pain if you're doing a renovation there's hopefully nothing lurking but just give yourself four weeks of buffer time in case there is yeah yeah wow um so yeah but i mean we're every day we wake up and i'm just like i can't believe we get to live here this is amazing this is like i'm just so happy i I really Mm -hmm. love our house it's so lovely it's just a really wonderful peaceful place it sounds like you're really making it you know a home Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I'm so jealous because you guys have such great estate sales down there um, around Atlanta.
1: I mean, I kind of want to drive to some other cities around us. I want to go to Greenville and I want to go to Nashville and see what they have because I want – I like a little bit more of like a modern-y look to the furniture Um, and a lot of it down here is like very southern and very regal, which also I love. Uh, It just doesn't really fit with the style of our house right now. But yeah, I think I'm about to start traveling for estate sales. So I will keep you posted on what I find. Definitely. So your
0: interview is part of my little holidays at home feature. So I'm going to ask you a few holiday um, tips and questions, things like that. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. So what's a great recipe on your blog that someone
1: could use for the holidays? Um, I did a lot of flatbreads with uh, Tillamook when I worked with them last year for just like appetizer things and there's this one that is a uh, fig and prosciutto and cheddar cheese flatbread just mm-hmm. on puff pastry it's super easy i love taking a recipe I, I love taking like like pre-made stuff and just like zhuzhing it up a little bit so like mm-hmm. store-bought puff pastry olive oil some spices some herbs cheddar um always use Tillamook cheddar because it's the best cheddar and um, just some prosciutto and like figs, and then you just bake it. Uh, it's so good. It's so like nutty, but tangy and sweet. It's a wonderful little appetizer to serve for people.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm definitely going to use that. We just scheduled a little holiday dinner with um, two other couples that we're friends with, and that sounds like it'll be a great appetizer that I should do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll be so much fun. When are you doing that? Um, December 5th. Ooh, fun. that will be great. Yeah.
0: So what's um a favorite gift you've ever received?
1: Um my my old house I lived in unfortunately was broken into and so my all of my sentimental jewelry was stolen and I was just crushed because it was like stuff from my grandmother who had passed away and then you know like my sorority badge and it was just like all the things that like maybe didn't actually have any sort of like street value if you would but it just had so much intrinsic value and I was absolutely crushed by it. And so oh. my mom ended up one year giving me my grandmother's pearls that her grand or that her grandfather had given her for her 30th birthday and I was just like I opened the package. I'm like about to tear up right now. I was like open the package you like start bawling and she included a photo of my grandma and grandpa cuz like my grandfather passed away sadly when my mom was eight. Um oh. my grandma never remarried she was like heartbroken for life for that and so I was just like oh start God. crying on, get <laughs> it was so beautiful <laughs> that does <laughs> was, I mean that's an amazing present right there mm-hmm. it's just super special so I have that like locked away in a safe I like, <laughs> right. I no, to I'll, yeah it's like I don't want anything to happen to this
0: <laughs> definitely in a safe and like fireproof and all <laughs> yeah exactly So what's something that always makes a pretty table setting? Like is there a go-to thing that you think um, when you're setting a table you should always include or you think just really um, takes it up a notch?
1: I think always some sort of natural element, um, whether it's pine cones or a floral arrangement or pumpkins or whatever. Like I think pumpkins, like white pumpkins are cute and they're perfect for all the winter holidays. Um, Mm -hmm. So I love any sort of natural touch like that. And I think it really kind of helps just – I guess, just humanize your table and it's not so like uh, stuffy. It just kind of yeah. adds a little casual flair to it. I think that's great. So speaking
0: of that, um, where do you shop for most of your holiday decor? I'm sure you, you shop in nature for some and then, of mm-hmm. course, some um, vintage um, and antiques. But are there any places like online that people could shop that are listening that you would
1: recommend? Yeah, um, I hope Surla didn't close down because I sourced a lot of my stuff in Sur- Surlatab Um And I love Crate and Barrel. Crate and Barrel always has a wonderful selection of things. And they do curbside pickup now, which is really nice. You can shop online and have it delivered to the store and then just pick up there. Um, or if they have it in the store, you can pick up. Um, and I always shop, <laughs> I'm a notorious, like day after the holiday shopper and I'll just save it for the next year. So the day after Thanksgiving, I buy all my Thanksgiving stuff for the following year. Or the day after Christmas, I buy, like, all my wrapping paper and all of my uh, Christmas wares for the year following. Oh, the container store. The container store has great wrapping paper in case you're looking for something as well. Um, I I had no idea. I would have never guessed. It's, like, that is my, like absolute guilty pleasure day after Christmas shopping is I go straight to the container store and I think it's like me and like four other people and I like (laughs) grab up all the wrapping paper and I I think I have like 20 rolls in my in one of my storage units of just wrapping paper I haven't used
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny yeah uh What's one tip that you can share with everyone that helps people remain stress free for holiday entertaining? Like, is there something you do before you have people come over or, um, you know, some sort of tip around that?
1: Yeah. um, I have a great timeline on the blog, which I can share with you if you want to put in the link. And it's all about like a helpful timeline to get you ready for the holidays. So um, I pre cook as much as I can before the day of, and I will set my table like two days before. Um, and so at least like the table is not worried about, and then I have like most of the appetizer is pre-baked or I have like, I mean, obviously all the desserts you can pre-bake. Um, and then most of the other stuff, like, like mashed potatoes and things you can prep the day before and then just heat up the next day. So I do as much prep work as I can in the days leading up to it. So the, the only thing I'm really working uh, worrying about is, um, pouring drinks or making like a fresh punch and, um. The main dish portion, whether it's like a ham or a turkey or a roast or whatever. Mm, that's good advice. So send me
0: that link for sure, and I can put it in the show notes. Yes, we'll do. Do you have any tips around celebrating the holidays with someone you can't see this year? I know it's a little bit different this year with COVID and everything. So how how do you think you can celebrate with someone that you can't see in person, or maybe just like make someone feel special that you might not be able to see this year?
1: Yeah, um, I love handwritten notes, and I love gift baskets. So depending on whoever you're trying to reach, what like really kind of speaks to them, whether it's, you know, I'm sure a lot of, I guess it kind of goes into like, what is your love language? So a lot of my family are very big into handwritten cards. So sending out cards that are have a handwritten note are very important on their end. Um, and then some people really like the surprise and delight of opening a package. And I think it would be really special if wherever you live, there's some sort of local bakery or a local good shop where you can grab a few things and, um, send your loved one a note that says, I thought of you Aunt June, because this toffee reminds me of whatever toffee you make and sorry, we can't see each other this year, but I love you. And I think that would be a really special way to celebrate with people near and far. I think that's such a
0: great idea and so sweet. What's your favorite holiday cocktail, or maybe there's one on your blog that people could try to make?
1: Um, I'm the worst cocktail crafter. <laughs> really? Um, I, yeah, I I don't know what I can't like mix things, and then I'm always I'm like I don't want it too sweet, so I like make it a little too bitter, and then it just never really kind of morphs. I I need to take an actual cocktail class. Um, I did make a um I mean spiked hot chocolate is always super delicious and it's just like whether you want to spike it with Bailey's um but I did make a um like cranberry gin fizz so I just essentially make like gin fizz and then you throw in some cranberries and I do some sugared rosemary which looks like little Christmas trees which is pretty fun I always like decorating a cocktail more than I like making a cocktail. So I typically try to outsource that to someone, whoever's coming over and be like, hey, do you know how to make cocktails? Cool. I have all these ingredients. Why don't you do this for us?
0: I love that. That's so funny. I mean, that cocktail, though, sounds delicious. And it sounds like it looks just as beautiful, too, though. So that's a good one.
1: It's a nice, refreshing, you know, I I love gin. You can replace it with vodka, um, but I'm a huge gin person. So it's, it's fun. Definitely. So what's next for you? I mean, we talked a little bit about these products
0: that you're going to be launching hopefully this spring. Anything else you want to share with people that they can look forward to or be on the lookout for?
1: Yes. So I'm in the development phase of a very cool piece of technology that will help um, influencers price themselves properly. So right before I left... I, when I worked from being a financial consultant to, I was working on executive compensation and working on how uh, we pay and retain our executives. I learned a lot about the compensation industry itself, um, Mm. like your base salary and how that's calculated and what goes into those kind of formulas. And as an influencer, I think one of the largest pain points that I hear continuously is that they don't have a way to figure out what they should actually be charging. Yeah, I'm definitely. working on I'm working on a piece of technology that will help influencers figure out not from like a formulaic perspective, but an actual um, crowdsourced data, um, how they should be pay charged for certain companies that they work with. Um, this also helps the companies, too, because companies probably don't know what's fair for people as well. They kind of set a budget mm-hmm. and then they allocate from a pure Instagram numbers perspective, which is not the most accurate way to do that. And then a lot of the companies that you see online that you can like pay for their services, they have just a formula. And I actually backed myself into the formula a few days ago and I was like, well, this is kind of cheap. I was like, this is a total crapshoot of how you should actually be charging for work because I know I have, from what it says, from what I should be making versus what I've actually charged in the past, it's totally wild and it's totally off. And there's no real good way to figure that out from an influencer perspective. So I am working on that and hope to do that full-time once I graduate in May. So what's next for you? Do you
0: have any fun projects you're working on or any sneak peeks you can tell us about?
1: Yeah. So besides building out a little bit more of my vintage resale shop, Juniper Bloom Home, um, which we have a few privately label, label products in the works um, I'm also hopefully going to be able to launch a tech business for influencers and social media professionals to learn how to price themselves. So, my former corporate life also touched base a little bit in executive compensation, And I learned a lot about how um, compensations are priced for full-time employees. And as I had my own influencer business as well as a social media agency, There's not a lot of really good information out there about how much you should charge for what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, combining those two skills of my corporate life experience and my struggle, I've heard a lot of people um, emulate the same things. I have a great opportunity to figure out, not figure out, but promote the transparency that this industry needs, as well as give people more than just a formula to figure out how much they're worth. I think that's, that's so
0: smart and so helpful. I mean even from the brand perspective too, I think that'll be so helpful for people.
1: Yeah, and I and I see it as a great way for brands and influencers to finally figure out exactly what to charge because right now we're kind of in this weird industry where it's like someone with $25,000 or 25,000 f- followers could charge $100 whereas someone with 25,000 followers could charge $2,000 and it's just I there's an opportunity for us to figure out like, with a science-based backing of how to do that. So brands and influencers both win in that respect.
0: I love that because I think a lot of influencers too, they're not really open with that. It's, it's sort of competitive, at least what I found, it's sort of competitive. So, and it's so new that no one really knows. So I feel like they don't talk about that sort of thing. So I think it'll be great to have this sort of resource.
1: Yeah, I've, I've personally had a few friendship fights over how much me and other friends got paid for projects. And it's, it's like you payment is such a personal thing. And it's hard to have that conversation with your friends without it becoming an emotional um, problem. And Mm -hmm. I want to I want to take that emotion out of it. And I want to give people the tools to feel confident about what they are pricing. Yep, that, that's so great.
0: I can't wait until you launch that. So when's like the ETA around about when you're going to probably launch that?
1: Um, my program in my master's program, I should have a working prototype by, by graduation. So that's May of 2021. Okay. Um, so right now we're in the data collection phase and I will give you the link if any of your followers would like to help promote or help uh, contribute to our data collection We have a survey um, that's live. So we're just trying to get as much information as possible. And I'm trying to find someone who can help me actually build the back end because I can do everything else. Definitely. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely share your link then.
0: Um, After this, you can email that over to me. And then anyone who wants to participate, I'll send that link their way. Great. That'd be so awesome. So, Cynthia, my final question is Where can people find you? This is your chance to plug your Instagram, your website, all of that. Let everyone
1: know all the links,
0: all the handles.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, you can always find me on Instagram, my most active platform, um, which is at Cynthia H Ruff. Um, and then, then of course I update my blog, um, every so often I've been a little delinquent this year, but great content <laughs> is coming because school is about to be over for me. <laughs> um, so you can find that at darlingdownsouth.com. And then if you are interested in buying, um, any vintage resale, we do a lot of, uh, fun surfing stuff, table linens home decor, just like fun little kitschy things that are super unique and I have never seen before. Um, that is at Juniper Bloom Home. And uh, I think mean, that's everything. And you can email me if you want to at Cynthia at Darling Down South. would love to hear from you.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia. I've loved chatting with you and learning more about you and your business.
1: This was so great, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me
0: on. Thank you so much for listening to the Prep Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media.